Welcome to the Refresh and Restore Weekly Devotion, brought to you by JustKeithHarris.com. Thank you for joining us. We hope that you are refreshed and restored through our Bible study today. Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's Refresh and Restore podcast. This week's Bible study, we're going to begin journeying through Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And here's what that says. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister." Greeting Sojourners. I've started this week's Bible study over and over in my head, which is why it's taken me several weeks to get this one produced. Have you ever set out to complete a task and realized that you're woefully inadequate for that task? That's how I feel about this select this section of Colossians. It's magnificent. It is glorious. It's full to the brim of amazing truths about Jesus. The more I study it, the more I find myself praying along with the tax collector in Luke 18, 13. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. You see, the more I learn of Jesus, the the closer I get to him, the more I learn about myself. He, of course, doesn't change, but my perception of him grows the more time I spend in his word. The greater my perception of him becomes, the worse I realize that I am. The more grace I experience from him, the more I realize the dangers of my sin. Understanding the cost of his sacrifice illustrates how woefully indebted I would be had he not redeemed me. The good news for me and for you is that he's not dependent on the skill of anyone to make him great. He already is. 
He doesn't need me to be eloquent or convincing. He is worthy, and I get to simply point you toward him. I want to talk to you about the greatest hymn ever written. See, this passage has long been one of my favorites. Every time I read it, it's like drinking ice-cold water when you're parched and hot. It refreshes me. Looking at it and, and processing how big and great, how preeminent, supreme, and sovereign Jesus is gives me indescribable relief. The general consensus of many theologians, writers, and preachers over the centuries is that today's passage was a hymn in the early church. And since it's recorded in Scripture and all Scripture is breathed out by God, this hymn is perfect. This hymn does not sing about the Word or what the Word says. This hymn is part of the Word. That in and of itself is enough to make it beautiful, but the way it testifies to who Jesus is adds depth and beauty that no human mind is capable of thinking. This explains why singing songs of the faith are important. They help us to carry our beliefs, beliefs, our theology from our hearts and minds to our mouths. And there's several hymns that come to mind. There are, are many beautiful modern hymns that help us communicate deep truths about Jesus. Uh, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, written in 1680, highlights the care and strength of Jesus. Check out these lyrics. Praise to the Lord who will prosper your work and defend you. Surely his goodness and mercy shall daily attend you. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do. If with his love he befriends you, then how great thou art, written in 1949 illustrates Jesus' greatness by reminding what he's done for us. And when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross my burden gladly bearing he bled and died to take away my sin and then more recently in christ alone written in 2001 reminds us to hope in christ alone in christ alone my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, 
When fears are stilled, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. But as beautiful as these songs are, they are not enough. Theology is important. Sound, orthodox theology is very important. But all of it pales in comparison to Jesus. And the Colossian hymn, if it helps you to think of it that way, Colossians 1, 15 through 23, is better than the sum of every lyric of every worship song ever written about Jesus because it comes from Jesus himself, because it comes from the word of God. He is more noteworthy than every note ever sung or that will be sung in worship of him. So let's dive in and seek to know him more as we embark on today's passage. In the last devotion, It'll be coming in a bonus episode of the podcast in a few days. Uh, In that devotion, I tried to illustrate why Paul begins with this section on Jesus. And that purpose is to lay down the essential truth of who Jesus is before Paul gets into the issues of false teaching that were plaguing the church at Colossae. There is false teaching today that still attacks who Jesus is who the Bible proclaims him to be. So I want to be as careful as I possibly can, more careful even than usual with my handling of this passage. When I take a passage, whether it's in writing or preaching or teaching, uh, speaking even in the podcasts, I want to take that passage and treat it with the same care that Ezra did when they read from the book of the law, from the scriptures, for the first time when they came home to Jerusalem out of exile. Here's what it says in Nehemiah 8.8. This This is good. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. See, When they read that day, all of Israel stood and listened. They were attentive to the word because they had starved without it in exile. Dear Sojourner, we're in exile too, for our citizenship is in heaven, and and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's walk through this hymn together, verse by verse, looking at what's clearly seen, giving a sense of it so that we may understand our reading, so that we may see him. We're not going to get through this entire hymn today, and we're not going to be in a hurry as we do it. We're going to take the verses that we can get to in the time we have to, to savor them, to ponder them, and to truly understand. So let's kick it off with verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. There are two descriptions of Jesus in that verse that are very important. He is the image of the invisible God, and he's the firstborn of all creation. These two descriptions run parallel to each other 
to help us to build an understanding of who he is. So starting with the first, when I see the phrase image of God, my mind is drawn back to the creation account in Genesis 1, 26 and 27 that says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I love the language in that passage. If you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament and the original language of Colossians, the word that we see translated for image is the same in Genesis and in Colossians 1. It's the word icon, um, which is similar to the word that we would use to refer to uh, an, an image or something to click on on a computer or a phone, icon. The, the word is used in other places in the New Testament, like when Jesus holds up the, the coin and asks whose likeness is on the Roman currency. And it's used later on in Revelation 13 um, to describe the image or statue of the beast. Basically, it's a word used to describe a picture, 2D or 3D, that represents something real. The icon is a visible representative of the real thing. It might be helpful to think about the icons for apps on our phones or our computer screens. Think of how broad and vast the internet is. Yet all you need to do to access the web is to click on the icon. It seems simple to look at Jesus in using the terms of an app, but there's scripture to back this up. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 is a beautiful picture of this as the author writes that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. You see, Jesus is the literal embodiment of God's glory and possesses God's nature because he is God. Jesus said as much himself in John 10.30. He says, I and the Father are one. And then again in John 14 verse 9, he says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. In thinking about the image of God, you know, man was created in the image of God, but that image was disfigured. It was marred by sin in the fall. That's the reason that in salvation, God begins restoring that image. How does he do that? Well, in salvation, when the old flesh is created with the new self, we begin, as we'll see later in Colossians 3.10, being renewed after the image of our creator. Or as it says in Romans 8.29, to be conformed to the image of God's Son. It really is a beautiful picture of God's grace. He creates man in his image, but man tarnishes that image by continually sinning. Rather than ending mankind, God made a way for us by coming to earth in the person of Jesus, 
living a sinless life, dying the death we deserve, and raising himself from the dead so that we can have eternal life in him. He, the image of the invisible God, gives us the most beautifully visible representation of God. In Christ we see the love of God and the justice of God. We see his mercy and his wrath. Jesus is making visible what Paul says in 1 Timothy 1.17, the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God. May he receive honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And that leads in to the second description here in verse 15, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. This phrase has been used to present all kinds of false teaching throughout church history, and it's even used today. People try to take this and twist it to say that Jesus is a created being, that he's God's firstborn. You can look back at the list of scripture um, in, in the bonus episode, or you can check on the website for the devotion earlier in Mark previous to this one. Or just look through the Bible yourself. To say that Jesus is created is to align yourself with people like Arius back in the early church or to align yourselves with modern-day Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons. And, and to say that means you're not aligning yourself with the Jesus of the Bible who wasn't created. He didn't show up fresh on the scene in birth, he has always been, even as it says in Ephesians 1 4, before the foundation of the world. So, to understand why Paul refers to Jesus as the firstborn of all creation, you got to understand the context. For example, God tells Moses to explain to Pharaoh that Israel is his firstborn son in Exodus 4 22. God was not saying that he was the literal father of the nation of Israel. He was re referring to the status, the position of a firstborn son. All right and authority over everything a father had, the, the best of the estate and all the status that comes with it goes to the firstborn. It also matches with how God spoke of David in Psalm 89, 27, when he said that he would make David the firstborn, the highest of the kings of earth. So to say that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation is to say that he is indeed the king of kings and lord of lords. It shows the authority that he had on earth, the authority that he still has today. As we move on and look at verse 16, look how it says, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Look at the way that the verses in this hymn build on one another. Jesus, being the image of the invisible God, establishes him as God in flesh. 
his being the firstborn of all creation establishes his authority. Now we see that he's the source of all that is, all that has ever been created. We've already traced him back as far as the image of God in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, but his presence at the dawn of creation can be traced back even farther. In fact, nothing can be traced farther back because Jesus predates time in the existence of everything that we can see. Look at this beautiful, this, this magnificent picture of God, magnificent picture of God in his Trinity in Genesis 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said. We see the Father and the Spirit clearly in this passage. The Son shows up in the speaking, in the Word. That's also where we see his authority. He says, light And light shines days before any source of light is invented. We already looked at Hebrews 1.3 earlier to affirm Jesus as the icon of God. Now we see it affirm his bringing all that exists into existence. He, being the exact imprint of God's nature, upholds the universe by the word of his power. Let that sink in upholds the universe by the word of his power. That same voice that brought things into being is the very same power that keeps everything together. That creative power keeps the earth spinning at just the right speed. It keeps the earth orbiting the sun at just the right distance and rate and keeps it tilted at just the right angle to make all of life able to continue. John, in John 1, 1 through 3, puts all of this together more beautifully than I could hope to explain. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, And without him was not anything made that was made. All of creation. That's everything that we can see on earth and all that we hope to see in heaven. That's everything from the majesty of the mountains and the vastness of the oceans down to the microscopic atoms that are working below the surface of them all. All of it exists because of him. There's no throne of man, no vast dominating empire, no ruler, earthly or spiritual, that can lift a finger against him because they all originate from the word of his power. Everything that is, was, or will be has been created through him. Everything that is, was, or will be belongs to him it's for him. We see verse 17, tie verses 15 and 16 together beautifully. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Just as our Bible study title suggests, Jesus is over all. And what's more, he is all. And just as his words were enough to light up the darkness in the beginning, they're enough to hold all of creation together. They're also better suited to tell us who he is. Listen to who Jesus says he is in Revelation 22, 13. Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So to wrap up this week's study, I plan on continuing to walk through this passage a few verses at a time. There's nothing that could serve our time together better than doing what Hebrews 12, 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder of and perfecter of our faith. It's my prayer that through this, that I grow closer to him in the writing and the studying, and you do as well in the reading or the listening. If you don't know Jesus, I'm thankful to get to introduce you to him. And so I want to close out today with some beautiful words about Jesus that were written in the 4th century, back in the 300s, by a guy named Gregory of Nazianzus. And these still hold truth today. Check this out. He who gives riches becomes poor, for he assumes the poverty of my flesh, that I may assume the riches of his Godhead. He who is full empties himself, for he empties himself of his glory for a short while, that I may have a share in his fullness. Hallelujah and amen. We thank you again for listening. You can find the written copy of this devotion, complete with links to the scripture passages that were cited throughout, on our website, JustKeithHarris.com, as well as other writings, projects, and Bible studies. Refresh and Restore is based out of Peter and John's sermon in Acts 3 and 4, specifically Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, where Peter says, Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Unless otherwise noted, all scripture passages are cited from the English Standard Version. JustKeithHarris.com is affiliated with Christ Community Church in Grenada, Mississippi. And if you would like to contact us, you may do so through our website.